following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Hey, we're a guest with us this morning. It's uh, a great time to be here. Not only is it 9,000 degrees outside, and we have five air conditioners in this room alone, but also we find ourselves smack dab in the middle of a new three-week mini-series asking the question, who's in charge? Where we're asking of ourselves the question, man, you guys are as alive as first service was this morning. We're asking the question, who's in charge? Fantastic. All right, this is a relationship here. We're going to have some back and forth dialogue. It's going to be okay. I promise you. I don't want to have you do anything crazy. But yes, asking the question, who is in charge of our life? Or maybe I could rephrase the question to match what I'm going to talk about. Asking the question, who is Lord of your life? Who's in charge? Is it you? Uh, is it your mom? Is it media? Do they drive your decisions? Or is it your friends? Is it your money and your finances? Or is it God? As Christians or Christ followers, we are to acknowledge Jesus as both our Savior and also as the Lord of our life. But for many, we only rely on Jesus to meet that need of Savior. Uh, and that creates this who's in charge problem, this who's in charge issue. When I think about Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life, they're two very different roles that require very unique responses on our part. One is about a belief, while the other is about an action. To say that Jesus is my Savior is saying that I believe the story, right? I believe that Jesus is God's Son, that He came to earth in the form of man, that He lived a perfect life, that He died and also rose again, conquering the power of sin and death in the world. And because of that, He is my Savior. He's the Savior of the world. I believe that, I understand that, and I receive that for my life. But for many people, they, they stop there. Jesus is their Savior. And I think they only choose this, uh, maybe because it's an easier choice of the two. It's not to say that it's completely easy, because it requires admitting that we're sinful, admit that we are imperfect, that we're in need of a Savior. But it's kind of a, a one-time thing. It's a very different thing to say that you acknowledge or submit to Jesus as the Lord of your life, as the first place that you go for guidance and for counsel, as the one of who is in charge of your life, as the one who determines what your priorities are, who you trust the most, who you depend on the most, really changing our priorities, changing what we find value in, changing who's in charge. But again, Jesus is to be both our Savior and our Lord. And when you fall into this only one or only the other, you only acknowledge Jesus as your Savior or only submit to Him as your Lord, if that's you, you cannot experience the fullness of God's freedom, the fullness of God's love and grace in your life. And I was trying to think of a good uh, verse to kind of show this transaction of, of what it should look like when we receive Jesus as our Savior, how that should change us. I found one in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
Uh, it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? This is the, the verse I just want to highlight for a second. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, I've paraphrased this line in hopes to personalize it for all of us this morning. I was thinking about having you repeat after me, but then I realized that'd be super cheesy, so I'm not going to do that. So I'm just going to read it aloud, and then you're going to think this is a statement I'm saying about myself if I claim to be a Christian. And it's, I am not my own. I was paid for by Jesus, so I will honor him with my life. I am not my own. I was paid for by Jesus. I understand that I cannot obtain this eternal relationship with God other than Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. And because of that, because of that price was paid by Jesus, I honor God with my life, that transaction. So here's the question this morning. Are you, am I, honoring Jesus with my life? Does the way that I live, the things that I do, or even maybe the things that I think about, honoring to Jesus? Am I honoring Him in my relationships? The way that I love my family and my friends, does that show honor to Jesus in my life? Amanda talked about that last week. If you missed last week, I encourage you to jump on the podcast and listen to it. How about this? Am I honoring Jesus with my finances? Does my bank account reflect my love for God? Am I honoring Him in the way that I worship Him? Not only here on Sunday mornings, but as you go on throughout your week at work or at school or at home. The way that you pursue a relationship with Him, is that honoring? Does it show that He is number one on your priorities? And if not, then you have what I will call a who's in charge issue. And for some reason, you like many Christians, have compartmentalized your faith. You have separated Jesus into two different categories, one as Savior and the other as Lord. And maybe you're willing to accept Him as your Savior, but you're not ready to hand over your life to Him. I understand why. Uh, it's, it's difficult, right? It's, it's hard. If this was easy, then maybe more people would do it. It takes complete trust on our end. And it can be really scary in some situations because... We are no longer in charge of our lives. We may feel that way. The insecurity of mankind, that we want the world to revolve around us. We want to be number one in all of our decision making. But here's the thing. The message of the gospel seems so backwards the way that we think. The message of the gospel says that whoever loses their life for Jesus' sake will find it. That when we submit our lives over to Jesus, that is when we truly find a fullness of life. It's then that God's promises become full in us. We find that every great biblical promise is tied to not just receiving Jesus as Savior, but also walking in the freedom of submitting or acknowledging Him as the Lord of our life. And by doing these things, we realize that it's really the gateway to the most amazing life possible. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what it looks like to submit to God as the Lord of our life over our money. And I know you guys are all excited, right? Yes. Yes. You guys are getting really good at that. 
Have you ever wondered what's the most outrageous thing that you would be willing to do for $10,000? I, I think I remember having this conversation at least 500 times with a group of friends and we thought of some really outrageous stuff. But this question, what would you do for $10,000, was posed by a Chicago radio station, WKOX, and they received 6,000 responses by some full-tilt crazy people. And uh, the eventual winner, a guy named Jake Waltney of Indiana, his idea to, to get the $10,000 was to eat an 11-foot-tall birch tree. He would consume all of it, leaves, branches, bark, roots, everything. And so for the event, he set up a really nice dining room table with fine linens, fine china, a rose vase, candlelight. He dressed in a full tux, and he began eating this tree from the, from the top down. It took him over 18 hours, over a period of three days, and the only condiment that Jay used was French salad dressing for his massive birch leaf French salad. Doesn't that sound tasty? At the end, at the end of the whole thing, Jay was quoted as saying that he had a stomachache. Really? You think you're not you eating the love of the So some of you are like, 11 foot tree, I would even like a 12 or 13 foot tree for $10,000. <laughs> Did you know that in the New Testament, Jesus said more about money than he said about heaven and hell combined? He talked about money all the time. Out of his 38 parables, 16 of them were talking about money. How to use your money, how to keep your money from using you. Get this, in the New Testament, there are 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, and over 2,000 verses talking about money. Now, is that to say that the money is the core central driving thing of the New Testament? Absolutely not. No, the New Testament, the core of it is life and redemption through Jesus Christ. But what it does tell us is that money can most often become a barrier for people. Barrier. It has this, this maybe addictive property to it, where we get so consumed with this love of money that can enslave our hearts and become Lord over us, when that's Jesus' rightful place. So this morning we're going to take a look at a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who's a, a young church leader discussing this topic of how money can sometimes become a barrier or a chain for people's lives. We're going to start in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, and it'll be up on the screen behind me. Paul writes this, he writes, People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. <clears throat> For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, yes, eating a tree sapling does sound quite foolish. But apparently, some Americans would go even further than that to become financially stable. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, uh, it revealed some real shocking statistics what Americans will do for not 10,000 but 10 million dollars. Listen to these 25% of 
Americans, would abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% would become prostitutes for a week or longer. 16% would give up their American citizenship. 16% would leave their husband or their wife for $10 million. 10% would withhold testimony and let a murderer go free. 7% would kill a stranger. And 3% would put their own children up for adoption. I've heard it said that every man has their price. And as the survey indicates, I mean, some people would be willing to do just about anything for money. For money. But certainly not Christians, right? They obviously didn't ask any Christians in the survey. Christians wouldn't have a price. Christians wouldn't sell themselves for money, would they? Well, Paul says to Timothy here, yes, they might, and in fact, some had. He wrote, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some Christians had walked away from their faith, from their relationship with God for financial gain. And in the end, they would realize what they had lost. It's a terrible thing. I mean, why would Christians walk away from the most life-giving, loving God for something so material? What mysterious power does money hold over people? First, we need to understand that there's nothing wrong with money. I like money. You guys probably like money. Uh, you and I need money to pay our bills and our mortgages, to put gas in our car, and provide for our families with food and clothing. The church needs money, right? Needs money to support missionaries. The church needs money to reach into our community with the gospel. Every Sunday morning, this is a heads up, this is going to happen here in about 20 minutes. Every Sunday morning, we pass offering buckets down all the aisles. And what do you guys put in the offering buckets? Money. That's right. And I knew Matt was going to say connection cards. There's always one in every room. And he's sitting in the second row. Money. You put money in the, in the offering buckets. At least I hope you do. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with money. It can be a useful tool to take care of our families and to build up the kingdom of God. Money can be used wonderfully. But, but, money is nothing more than just paper and coin. And yet Jesus warned that we can get so attached to it and what it promises. Jesus says that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot serve both God and money. And Paul is telling us a very similar thing here in 1 Timothy. It's the love of money, the eagerness for money, the desire to hold on to as much of it as you can that can cause even solid Christians to abandon and wander away from their faith. Why? Because you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have two lords of your life. You cannot serve both God and money. Putting money as the Lord, as our number one priority, as the thing that drives 
our decision making can become a trap. Take us off God's plan, God's intentions for the way that you and I experience life. So how do we avoid falling into this money trap? Let's continue. Paul writes, But you, man of God, but you, woman of God, but you, child of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. When I read this at first, I thought, man, we're really swinging off to a tangent. I mean, here we were talking about money, talking about financial matters, and people that have abandoned their faith for money, and then we seem to fear over here talking about a different subject. What does this have to do with money? I'm a slow learner, guys. Stay with me. But then I, I realized, like all of Scripture, this was placed there deliberately, the seeming, seemingly out of... Uh, out of context bit of, of scripture is stressing exactly what you and I need to do to avoid falling in this money trap, which is really changing our focus, changing what our priorities are, beginning to focus not on what we consider as valuable and precious, but what God considers as valuable and precious. Things like righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness that were to take a hold of the eternal life that we were called to. We need to understand that nothing, nothing money can buy can equal the things that God can give us. Paul is saying, change your focus. Don't, don't look to your money as your security, because it is not. Don't cling to your money as your lifeline, because it is not. Focus instead on God and the things that please Him. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when He said, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. He said, Do not worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear, for even the pagans run after these things, and the Heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom. Seek first Him. Seek first His kingdom his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Is this a promise for everyone? No, it's not. It's not a promise for pagans. It's not a promise to those who only receive Jesus as their Savior. It's a promise to those who seek first his kingdom, that he is the Lord of your life. The trap of money, uh, or the, the love of money, is the belief that if you have enough of it, if I have enough of it, then I can provide for all of my wants. I can provide for all my needs. If I have enough money, then I won't have to worry. And I can do the things that I have always wanted to do. We elevate ourselves. Elevate our money. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, I have. Uh, I've heard someone say 
that all I want is an opportunity to prove that money cannot buy me happiness. All I want is a chance to prove that it can't buy me happiness. But Jesus says we're not to think that way. Jesus says, do not store up treasures on earth. Store up your treasures in heaven where they cannot be stolen, where they not, cannot be destroyed. He says, stop thinking in materials. Stop thinking earthly materials. Start thinking in the eternal. Money cannot provide the ultimate security. Only God alone can provide that ultimate certainty and security. You see, if we, if we let it, money can ruin our lives, robbing us of the very promises that it tells us. So how do we avoid this money trap? Here's my two-point sermon. You ready for it? If you want to write this down, it'll be good for you. The first one is focus on God. We talked about this. Focus on God and what He says are the most valuable things in life. And the second one is this. Paul says that we're to learn to give money away. Let's continue on, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Lay up a foundation for the coming age, the eternal life, not the material life. Now, I know some of you guys are thinking, he said, it's talking about rich people. I read that. You started off talking about the rich in the present. If I showed you my bank account, you wouldn't be talking about me right now because I'm not rich in the present. No, that's not just talking about the rich people. It's talking to anyone who finds themselves controlled by this desire, this love of money. I want to end with this thought. I was reading through Ephesians this week, and it seemed to really hit what I was wanting to say here in conclusion. So, uh, Ephesians 4.28 says this, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, that makes sense, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Why must this beef stop stealing and go to work so that now he can make money? Why does the beef steal? Well, he steals because he has a love of money. In particular, he has a love of your money. How does this cure his desire, this love of money in his life? Well, he gets a job, and he learns to give that money away. And in doing so, it frees him from this bondage, this desire for money. He sees that money is just a resource. It's nothing more than that. When we, as Christ followers withhold our tithe. We are like the thief here in this. The 10% that the Lord asks of us. We are in danger of the money trap. A good clue that you are in danger of this money trap is you find it difficult to give money away. Now I know some of you, because uh, I've, I've dealt with this, I've, I've lived this out in my own life, and walked this line of, of coming from having money as my priority defining the way that I spent, defining the way that I live, to, to this place where God is now number one in my life. 
And, and the reason I found it so difficult was because I wasn't making a lot of money, right? Some of you might be there and you think, I only have enough to pay my bills and go to Walmart and get some groceries, and that's it. I'm tapped. That's all I have. I, I cannot give God any money. And I would encourage you, I would say to you, well, maybe it's that way because your money, your bank account, is defining and driving what is important to you. It's driving your decision-making. It's now number one in your life. We need to be free from that by learning to give money away, making God, again, our priority. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. Because when we do that, it says, it's a promise to us, when we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he provides for us. You see, God knows us. He created us. He built us to be genuine, giving, loving creatures. Which is why he set an example for us of what it means to give things away. God is the most powerful, resourceful, being in all of the universe. He owns everything, and yet He loves us so much that He gave. He gave His Son so that we may have eternal life. He paid for all of us by giving. And so what does He deserve in return on our end? That we also give. That we give Him control of our lives. That we submit to Him as Lord. So the final thought is, are Jesus' salvation and Lordship both reflected in the way that you live? Does Jesus have complete authority over what your priorities are? Because if not, if not, then maybe you need to rethink what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple, a Jesus follower. As following Jesus, that means He's taking the lead in our life. We are walking in tune with Him. Because if Jesus is to be your Savior, He's also to be 